Hi there. Hi there. Welcome to Honey Do Me Podcast. I am Cass. And I am Emma. And this is our podcast about having sex and having interrelations and having outer relations. Mm-hmm. Um, all the things. All the things. All the pleasure, shame, smoosh it up in a sandwich, eat it every Wednesday. That's us. That's Honey Do Me. I remember I was just thinking about, you know, honeydews. I don't know. Sure. Why your sandwich reference made me think you don't have to explain yourself food. Mm -hmm. Um, But one time we posted a TikTok uh, that went kind of viral and people were commenting and somebody said, why would you choose the worst melon? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was so funny and so rude. Um, That's so funny. Like we were actually... Like fruit, fruit. Okay, melons. Yeah. Um, it's like watermelon me. Water- um, no, <laughs> cantaloupe me. Maybe if we were a marriage podcast. Maybe. Um, yeah, and honey we just do. landed on honeydew me. <laughs> uh, it's gross, but it'll do. Get it? <laughs> oh, it's disgusting. Uh, makes me want to gag. I actually really like honeydew. I know it's fine. I'm not a huge melon person. I like watermelon. <laughs> You're not a melon felon. <laughs> I'm not a melon felon. I'm not, but I do appreciate watermelon, um, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Okay. But um, before we dive deeper, I do have to make a correction because I was called okay. out by my mom, uh, and she said, <laughs> I'll be looking for the correction in the next episode. <laughs> okay. Well, lay it so on us. So last week, I said that I have parents in their 60s, and she said, nah Emma, <laughs> I am not in my 60s. Your father is. So my apologies to my mom. She is still under that 60 limit. Just FYI. Um, to be fair, you did say they were the youngest people you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which <laughs> might have been a slip of the tongue. Uh-huh. Um, but you did quite literally say they were the youngest people that you know. Yeah. Um, so... I just so think balances she, out. She's picking and choosing what she wants to hear. <laughs> well, <laughs> love um, you, mom. Um, anywho, today is not about last week. Today is about today. And today we're talking about cheating. We're mm-hmm. talking about cheating. We're talking about infidelity. We have been diving deep into relationships this month. We've talked about new mm-hmm. relationships. We've talked about um, uh, maintaining long-term relationships, uh, how to fight. I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, but these have all been wonderful episodes. Right. I am just a mess. Don't mm. judge. Don't judge our guests by me. <laughs> by me. Um, but Correct. yeah, it's been really, really fun, and we wanted to round it out, to close it out with just a touchy, feely, warm, lovey topic. <laughs> Infidelity. Um, Infidelity. But oh my God, this episode is incredible. I've never talked about cheating in a, I want to say professional, but I just in any circumstance other than shitting on cheating and Mm -hmm. cheaters, which Mm -hmm. as we reflect later in this episode is interesting and dynamic because Mm -hmm. we've all kind of had experiences one way or the other. You'll get it later. But it was just so interesting to talk about it from a therapist's perspective because mm-hmm. um, we don't often talk about cheating until after it's happened. Yeah, so we're talking with Rebecca Stone. She's a therapist who specializes in helping couples recover from infidelity, mm-hmm. um, which is super interesting. What If you don't want to share this, you don't have to, but what is? do you, do you have any personal experience with cheating that you brought into this, this topic? This topic? Um, not necessarily. I would say I've had like, I've had flutters of (laughs) feeling like I could be someone that cheats. And I've had instances of feeling like emotionally abandoned, therefore emotionally cheated on. Mm -hmm. And, but I wouldn't say any of my friends um, or close people to me, I've never had a like, 
direct instance where we talked about it. Mm-hmm. More so just the general reality show talking about people who have cheated. <laughs> right. How about you? No. And I feel like that like definitely impacts my understanding of cheating and how I came into the episode mm-hmm. because you know, one thing that Rebecca talks about is like, nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. And I am one of those people who's like, yeah, of course not. Like it would never happen to me. Like no Until she whips out the statistic of how many couples (laughs) deal with it. Yeah. And then she just blows my tits off with these statistics. (laughs) And I didn't have a lot to begin with. So it was just. So wow. (laughs) So rude of her. Party wind, if I'll say so. (laughs) But I don't know. So I think it's also. And I think this is going to come off as kind of cunty of me. Sure. But I think it is hard for me to take cheating super seriously because of how distanced I feel from it. Mm. How much I feel like, oh, like, you know, I've never experienced it, never happened to me. And so, you know, it's hard for me to see it as super detrimental Mm -hmm. as well. And I don't even really know where I'm going with that. No, I understand what you're saying because I have the opposite feeling. Okay. Because you're in a relationship where you and your partner Mm -hmm. love each other. I'm not in a relationship. And one of my biggest fears is like emotional cheating, miscommunication, and like leading someone on. And then later this bomb is dropped of like, hey, this happened. Mm -hmm. So I think I get it because I'm the opposite. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you saying that what came to me was... I'm, I don't feel super afraid of it. And so I feel like if it were to happen to me, I'm like, of course we would recover from it. Of course mm. we would be able to work through it. But I can't say that confidently. You know what I right. mean? Because I don't know. And I, I haven't been in that circumstance. And so I don't want people to think I'm like, fuck you if you chose not to stay like you weakling. Right. Because I really, I have, I don't know how I would react. Mm-hmm. But talking to Rebecca just opened my mind a lot to like, why do societally we treat it as like you have to be done yeah. if somebody has cheated, but we don't treat it the same way if somebody struggles with like alcohol mm-hmm. um, or mm. other addictions. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I find this episode fucking fascinating. Fucking and fascinating. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Yeah. I can't wait either. So let's just dive in. All right. Let's just do it. All right. Let's okay, just bye. give it to him. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Hi there, everybody. My name is Rebecca Stone. I am the founder and director of Brooklyn Somatic Therapy, a group practice in New York. And I'm also a a trauma couples and somatic therapist with a specialty in infidelity recovery. And I'm so excited to be here to talk about infidelity recovery, trauma, and what we need to be able to do to heal. Absolutely. We are so happy to have you here to discuss this because I also feel like I was thinking about this this morning. We don't talk about how to move past this or how to work through it in a relationship until it's already happened. And you're working through so many things that maybe forgiveness, if that's your goal, would never be on the forefront of your mind or isn't. Um, So I think it's actually one of those topics that I'm happy we have the space to talk about before it's happening. Um, for us personally, Cass, I assume. Yes. (laughs) Um, so maybe we start with the definition of cheating or infidelity. Um, and are there different definitions? Great. Um, I want to get back to that and and first say that that's probably the hardest question I've ever been asked, (laughs) but I also say in terms of nobody thinking that this is going to happen to them until it's too late. Right. And most people thinking that recovery is not even a possibility and that they would never stand for this kind of behavior. And with all of the couples that I work with, they have the experience of being completely shocked, completely floored, and all of a sudden feeling like, wait, I'm not ready to give up this relationship. There was so much good here. What the hell am I supposed to do? So I'm thrilled to be talking about this because couples therapists aren't really trained to be helping people recover from infidelity. And I I think that the majority of therapists have um, a bias Mm. that if, you know, a client of theirs has been cheated on or a client of theirs is the cheater, that they're really, it's too late. Mm. It's over. And so there are really very few people that specialize in this and really believe that infidelity recovery is possible. 
And in fact, 70% of couples are able to recover without much support, which is a shocking number. I mean, nobody expects that. And this is like without therapy, (laughs) you know? So that's insane. So I'm I'm thrilled to be talking about it. So in terms of the definition, um, you know, I think everybody agrees that the definition, the typical definition is being unfaithful, whatever that means, and breaking a commitment, a relationship commitment. But people break commitments all the time, right? I mean, divorce is breaking a commitment. So what's the difference between infidelity and just saying, I'm done, Mm -hmm. And I'm breaking our commitment in a more overt way. So I think that part of the the most common and traumatic aspect of infidelity is the lying and the secrecy. So I think part of redefining infidelity has to be lying, gaslighting, um, hiding the fact that there is a deprioritization of the relationship and a choice to um, to basically create some kind of triangulation where something else, someone else um, becomes more important than the relationship itself so that the relationship is no longer the priority and there's no longer secure attachment mm-hmm. and safety, mm-hmm. emotional safety, mm-hmm. right? Like emotional intimacy becomes threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I think that that's a better definition is because it can encompass everything, not just cheating with another human, but porn and financial infidelity is a category of infidelity that nobody thinks about, right? And it's just about using an addictive escape mechanism to divert attention and get needs met outside of the relationship. And I would argue that addictions, alcohol addiction, so, you know, any substance use is the same um, behavior, but it manifests differently. And what's really hard about infidelity is that there's so much pain and shame and trauma about choosing another human being over the partner as opposed to alcohol. I mean, it's easy to see that alcohol means mental illness. It's much harder to see that another person can mean trauma or mental illness too. Wow. Well, for a hard question, you did a great job putting an umbrella term over it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I feel like a lot of us aren't coming into relationships with that definition. And because a lot of us, like Emma was saying in the beginning, aren't preparing for the idea that there could be infidelity, we're not having yeah. these conversations of like, well, what does infidelity mean to you? Like right. what counts as cheating to you? And so what happens when you're in a relationship and maybe you are even starting to have these conversations or something has happened, but your definitions of infidelity are different from one another? Like if you know one partner does consider porn infidelity, but the other one doesn't, how do you navigate that? It's a really good and a really hard question. And, you know, I could give you the easy answer and say, well, all of these things need to be spoken about in the beginning of a relationship. Everybody should know how much porn is my partner using? Do I feel comfortable with it, et cetera? But I actually think that the the main problem that like the, the, the porn is a symptom of a larger systemic issue. And that systemic issue is much harder to address and talk about. And it's, and it's the work of couples over their entire lifetimes, which is how our attachment strategies that were developed in childhood play into our adult romantic relationships. So the research shows that people that are avoidantly attached are much more prone to cheat. And the reason is that An avoidant strategy means that you're using avoidance to escape emotional pain and fear of rejection, as opposed to the anxious strategy, right? Which is, I'm going to cling, I'm going to overfocus on the relationship, I'm going to just figure out what my partner needs and give it to them on speed. And the avoidance strategy is like, this is too intense emotionally for me, I need to check out 
because I'm not used to reading and gauging my emotional landscape and I'm really scared of it. And I'm really scared that I'm going to fail my partner, that I'm not going to be enough for them, that I'm going to be left alone like I was as a kid, you know, in an abs- like emotionally. And so it's safer to escape. It's safer to fantasize about other people. It's safer to keep the door open so that I can know that if I'm ever rejected, I'll survive. Nothing's going to touch me that much. And so <clears throat> the conversation is actually much deeper, you know, that needs to happen from the beginning of a relationship about what are our core woundings? What are we bringing? What baggage are we bringing from childhood? And what strategies are we using to avoid emotional intimacy mm-hmm. as protect as a protective survival response? Right. And So, you know, I think most people, and I'm going to go out on a limb when I say this because I know that there are a lot of different religious convictions, but like most people would probably be okay with their partner watching some amount of porn. The problem is when the porn becomes the triangle in the relationship and the partner is using porn more than they're turning to their partner for sex right? That's when it becomes an escape route. That's when it's painful and betraying. Because why are you more interested than, you know, in these people that you don't know, these strangers than me? Why do I keep initiating sex and getting rejected when I know that you're up till 3am every night? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Masturbating. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the issue. It's not about like, let's go down our checklist. You know, are you okay with porn? Check. Are you into polyamory? Check. You know, people who are in open relationships also experience infidelity. So it's not like, you know, getting clear on the checklist is going to save you from this. Mm -hmm. What this is really about is how blind are we to our um, trauma spins and our wounding that causes unconscious behaviors that make us, you know, cause unbearable pain to our partner. Mm -hmm. Wow. The way you're describing attachment styles in relation to infidelity is like such a light bulb moment for me. I think for somebody who would tend toward anxious attachment, it's hard for me to grasp cheating in a lot of ways, I think, because I'm like, yeah, that's just not how I would turn. Like if I was feeling this, that way or the other, like I'm going to go more towards my partner and like really like try and get their validation and all of that. And so it's like, it feels like a disconnect. But then when you're describing why somebody who tends toward avoidant attachment would feel like that was the safest way to protect like themselves and not have to be too vulnerable, it makes a lot of sense. And it's like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so happy that you feel that way about it because Cheating partners are so demonized in our society. Mm-hmm. You know, they're seen as just such awful, terrible people. And what nobody understands is that um, when research is done about attachment theory and attachment styles in children, what they found about avoidantly attached kids is that they're the ones who are actually crying the most as children. And they're seen as problems and nobody can quite help soothe them. And there's some form of neglect that causes them to say crying and protesting is not worth it. So it's like the, you know, when we think about attachment strategies on like a a spectrum, right? The, uh, The anxious is the one that cries and is inconsistently met. Sometimes I get what I need when I protest and sometimes I don't. So I'm just going to keep protesting and clinging and making clear that I'm miserable until I get responded to. The avoidance strategy is giving that up because it just doesn't work for them. So when if you can imagine never getting that response when you're in pain and you're trying to get co-regulated by a caregiver or by your romantic partner in an adult relationship, of course you're going to give up. Mm-hmm. And that's why I believe so much in infidelity recovery and I, and I love it so much and feel so passionately about it because um, 
like I really believe in my best moments and I obviously don't live by this all the time because I'm a human being that, you know, like true compassion and like living wisely is about trusting that if we were in someone else's shoes, we would do it exactly the way that they're doing it. As we're going through anxious and um, avoidant, are there examples of people who are in secure relationships who cheat and maybe what those motivations would be if it's not around your attachment style, but it's around something else entirely? Great question. Um, yes. So there are two categories um, in addition to the avoidant kind of like this trend of infidelity that I want to talk about. The first is that just like the avoidant child, right, has learned to give up protesting. There's also in adult relationships, if someone is begging and begging for their partner to meet their needs and is feeling so unheard over time, they turn avoidant. So that's called, we can call that the burnt out pursuer, right? If like, if I'm just trying over decades to be heard and my partner's just never hearing me, mm-hmm. At some point, I'm just going to give up also in adulthood and and cheat, even though my primary strategy was always anxious. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two is I've met a lot of couples and worked with them who say, we were so happy. We were so secure. We were each other's best friends. And so it's not necessarily that that the relationship was insecure it's that the partner had a wound from childhood around neglect or not getting needs met. And so they learned as a strategy to contain their feelings and needs and not speak mm-hmm. them out because they didn't really trust that they could get met, even though the relationship was happy. You know, let's say it was 70% happy and then something happened that made things harder. Their partner went through a depressive slump. They lost a job, you know, whatever, whatever like um, event happened in their lives that sent them into an older trauma spin that they thought they were over. And because they had all of this unprocessed childhood trauma and they didn't even really know what was happening and why it was coming up in that moment, they acted out and cheated. Do you notice a pattern of people cheating when they're in moments in their lives where that require higher vulnerability. So like after big events, I am thinking of a specific like TikTok I just saw of a bunch of people talking about how their partners cheated on them right after they gave birth. And so Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, obviously when I saw that, I was like, that's horrible. Like that's so traumatic and I'm wondering, like, because that moment requires so much vulnerability of both people in it, is that why there would be like an uptick in cheating around those kinds of times? I think that's such a good, first of all, so many people report infidelity around pregnancy, childbirth, and then also around um, like when kids leave the house. Okay. So there's some major upheaval in the relationship structure, you know? And um, when when someone's pregnant or has just had a baby and everything feels like it's in complete and utter turmoil and the, the couple is no longer on their own, that's a terrifying time for many, many reasons. Like it's a huge change that people aren't really fully expecting. And often what I hear from couples who are experiencing it at that moment is that it's really around the partner feeling like they're going to be forgotten about, like they're no longer the important one, you know, um, to typically the, the partner that's giving birth. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, if you've got the baby, I'm going to go over here and get my needs met. I mean, that's often how it feels and sounds to the cheating partner is like, I'll just leave you alone. You're not going to want to meet me. My needs are too much. And I'll just go over here and get my needs met and everybody will be happy. 
like they don't fully process the, the damage that they're causing until it's too late because they think that they're doing their partner a favor by not burdening them with their needs. That's often what I hear. Oh, that's so interesting. It is really interesting. I connected with um, an example you gave earlier about um, it was was it the abandonment one? Like you abandon your kind of your values when you're not getting your needs met. So you think about it at that point. I mm. never did move towards like infidelity, but I thought about it in one relationship where emotionally I was getting nothing. I was getting no needs met that when I got to moments of this is a point where I could cross a line, I contemplated because I'm like, I could finally get what I need for 15 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I Mm. didn't, but yeah, I thought about it multiple times. So is there ever like a, a justification for you reaching outside of your relationship and your commitment? Like what you're saying with, um, the partners at this moment of like, well, I don't want to bother you. I don't, I didn't want to ask you for something that you couldn't give me right now. You know, there, there's these justifications that we build up in our head and some of them make sense and some of them really don't, but is there like ever a point where they do? I think what nobody understands until they're in it as the betrayed partner is that being lied to and hidden from in that way is the most, one of the most traumatic things that could ever happen. Mm -hmm. So I would say, no, there's absolutely never a justification Mm -hmm. for cheating. Um, There's justification for saying I'm out. (laughs) I'm fantasizing about somebody else. I got to go. This clearly isn't the relationship for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people aren't strong enough to make that call. And, you know, there's something called um, exit affairs. Like that's kind of a category of infidelity, which is like, I'm not strong enough Mm -hmm. to just leave. I'm terrified of being alone. I don't trust that I'll find somebody. And so I'm going to use an affair to prove to me that I can find someone new and get out. And so that's one way to do it. The thing is that that is beyond traumatizing to the partner that you're leaving. And there's a much kinder, more compassionate way to do it that's, you know, in integrity, which is like, I'm going to be really transparent with my partner. I, for, for a minute, I contemplated having an affair because of how unmet I am here. And if things don't drastically change, I got to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I think this question is coming from a place of ignorance and I don't want it to sound accusatory towards anybody. But why do people stay then? Like if they, you know, aren't getting their needs met, they are like getting with somebody else. They are, you know, having relationships outside of their relationship. Like why stay at that point? Because it feel, I don't know, like it feels like it's just putting the, your partner who's not, cheating like through the ringer for what like that's I guess that's what I've always like talked to my partner about it's like if you want to be with somebody else just go be with somebody else like don't lie to me about I, that's it. the part that's hard for me to click yeah yeah well I think that there are really two two different kinds of affairs like one is the exit affair where it's like mm-hmm. I'm done with the relationship I'm just too scared to leave mm-hmm. and another category of affairs is I'm in love with my partner, but I don't know how to communicate the tr- about the trauma spin that I'm in and the fears that I have about my lovability. And I've never done work on myself. And so it's not actually about the relationship being wrong. It's about the person like having no idea what they're acting out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the clients that I work with in infidelity recovery are in that category. More are in the category of, I never wanted to leave my partner. I love my partner. I was always clear that my partner was the one for me. But I just became so terrified that I was going to fail, that they were going to leave me, that, you know, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. that I did this crazy thing. And it was really, it was addictive. It was, it was, um, 
it was a dopamine hit. It felt like an addiction. I knew that this person wasn't actually going to ever be good for me. I knew that I never wanted to keep them around. Just in that moment, they made me feel like a million dollars when in my relationship, in what we were going through, I felt like a failure. I imagine that's really hard to hear as the betrayed partner that your partner who cheated on you does love you, does want to be with you and still did this. Like that feels really hard to remedy because it's like, if you loved me, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. And even though I can see all the things that you're talking about and why, like, you know, these childhood traumas and attachment styles and all of that would play into it like actually being in the relationship and having somebody tell you, I love you and I did this, Mm -hmm. that's really hard to hold both, Mm -hmm. I imagine. It's a complete mindfuck. And it takes Mm -hmm. so much, it takes so much work. And what I love doing when I work with the betrayed partner is each betrayed partner is gonna go to a different place about what this means about me right? One is going to say it's because I wasn't attractive enough. Another is going to say it's because I'm too much for you. My needs were too much. So I pushed you away into somebody else's arms. Another is going to say I'm inherently bad and unlovable. And each person's wound from childhood determines the story that they make up about the now. So with the opportunity that the betrayed partner has in this moment to heal is not just from the betrayal, but really the core beliefs that they formed from childhood that they didn't even know were in them either. Mm -hmm. So it can be profound healing to come out on the other end and say, I can really see now that that story about my unlovability has been there since I was five years old and, you know, Mrs. Mm -hmm. Kellogg's class when she said this and then I went home and my Mm -hmm. parents dismissed me. Mm -hmm. And I can now, with, with a clearer vision, see that my partner's cheating had nothing to do with me mm-hmm. and, and, and my worth, my inherent lovability and worth. Mm-hmm. Do you see a way that's most common that people um, either admit to or find out that they have cheated or have been cheated on and... Are there ways that are easier to recover from than others? Most of the people that I work with and most of the people um, who took a survey that I did with a couple of um, collaborators, colleagues, uh, reported that they found out, like that they discovered it from messages, from phone, and that it wasn't a disclosure from their partner. Mm -hmm. Full disclosure from a partner is the easiest way to recover. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very hard to be the cheating partner and believe that if you tell your partner what you've done, that that's actually an easier healing road. Mm -hmm. But it's the truth. Right. And the partners that continue to invalidate and lie once it's been discovered are the partners that have a harder time healing. And that's, again, most cheating partners mm-hmm. are deny and deny and deny and are so scared of being caught because they don't actually want to leave mm-hmm. and they don't want to hurt their partner and they're terrified. Right. To give a little bit of context, is there are there numbers on like how many relationships experience infidelity? Uh, 40 to 60%. Holy shit. That is so much more than I thought you were going to say. Oh, God. I know. And it's hard to know. I mean, not everybody's being surveyed. We know people still lie. We have no idea. Oh, my. (laughs) That's shocking. That's massive. That is... But, but also, we don't know what infidelity is defined as when that's being... I have no idea what's included in that. So it's all kind of amorphous, but we know that the numbers are high. Mm-hmm. Right. Are um, the phrase like once a cheater, always a cheater has always been circulated. So is repeat offender an okay word to use here? Like, is that something that you see often in people who cheat is that they, they're people who can cheat, who can cross that line 
again or again and again and again. And once a cheater, always a cheater stands up. Once a cheater, always a cheater is not true. However, if you've cheated once, you're at higher risk of cheating again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, if we think about this avoidant strategy, right? If someone's going to just move from relationship to relationship, not checking themselves, not healing the part of them that uses this to escape, it will continue to happen. Mm -hmm. But if there's an intervention and the couple repairs and gets help and the, 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 the cheating partner figures out like, what is this wound that is causing me to reenact this? It's over. I've seen it just, you know, end. And, and I would say most cheating partners are cheating once and they're cheating with one person. Um, and it was a really terrible, hard moment in the relationship. And as soon as their partner finds out and they see the damage that they've caused, that's enough trauma to them to never want to do it again. It's, it's, I think it's like when there's some form of sex addiction that it happens more repeatedly mm-hmm. and the sex addiction needs healing. Mm-hmm. I'd love to get a little bit more into the dis- disclosure aspect. Mm. Um, I think another, I don't know, thing that I've heard in terms of cheating is that Sometimes like it's going to hurt your partner more to tell them like if it was a one off thing, just a little thing, like, is it really going to benefit your partner to tell them or is it just going to hurt them more? Is there ever a time when you shouldn't disclose? I don't know. I mean, you know, Esther Perel, who wrote The State of Affairs, Mm -hmm. she writes like, I don't always advise my clients to disclose. Like, what's the point of them having to know everything when it's going to kill them? Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, because 84% of betrayed partners report that the most traumatic part was the lying, mm-hmm. if they find out the risk for PTSD is so much higher, if they find out themselves, that I, I don't see a justification for withholding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's too risky and too damaging to the relationship. And Often partners just know, like they just intuit. Mm -hmm. Something's off. You're acting different. You know, that night you came home, things were different. You were weird with me. What was that? Right. Mm -hmm. There's um, definitely a line I've found within a relationship where being too honest has been damaging and hurtful. And just like, shut up already. Like, I, I get it. I, I don't need to hear every single thought that you've had today. Um, and then there was a scene in a show mm-hmm. I watched where in a moment of just like pure raw honesty, they showed each other like the ways in which they appreciated outside attention that day. And like, they both were kind of in this mm-hmm. moment of just like questioning and like this happened and this happened. And to me, that would make me feel safer. Like that disclosure of like this person and I flirted for like 15 minutes and honestly, it kind of felt good. That type of honesty, Mm -hmm. I would say feels like you trust me and I trust you and like we can talk about this and work on it. But yeah, then there is a flip side Mm -hmm. of like, I don't need to know every single time you thought about someone else when you were masturbating. Like that part, I don't need Mm -hmm. to know. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, I would say like with your point, it would be like conditional or hard to. Well, I wonder, I mean, I get curious about like the intention behind the sharing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like why is someone telling you about every time they're fantasizing about someone else while masturbating? And is there something about like making sure that you know that they're allowed to be free and not always think of you and whether that feels hurtful, you know, and whether there's intention behind that, like, Mm -hmm. like whether that's actually part of the avoidance strategy, I'm never going to be fully yours. So just FYI, Mm -hmm. you know, here are the other people, here are my exes that I fantasized about Mm -hmm. and whether that's why it feels different to you than, 
being in a collaborative partnership where you're like, hey, um, you know, like I like getting this outside attention. I bring it to you. Like I get turned on and I bring it to us in our relationship. You're the only one who gets to have me. Mm-hmm. Those are two different approaches. <laughs> I And the intention really matters. Yeah. I mean, you can feel the difference, Absolutely. right? And like, mm-hmm. like we can acknowledge that our libido is always around and that different things can turn us on. Mm-hmm. And, and use it to strengthen the bond instead of to put up blocks. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Whew. Well, <laughs> it's, always, it's always fascinating bringing up examples that I've experienced or that like listeners have mentioned. It's just so interesting to get a different um, perspective, <laughs> motivation mm-hmm. of intention, like you're saying. I'm glad you brought Mm -hmm. that up too, Emma, because that wasn't what I was thinking when I was thinking of disclosures. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of like, I don't even know what to call them or how to categorize them. But like if you, you know, in your relationship, you really consider if you were to like sleep with someone else, that would be cheating. But you made out with somebody like a couple years ago, never said anything. Mm -hmm. And then like, is that worth bringing up now? Is that worth Mm -hmm. disclosing if you feel like it's going to hurt things more than others? But I guess- it depends on the situation right. and what you want to do. Right. You know, emotional affairs are just as traumatic as physical affairs, sometimes even more. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, like I think for a lot of people, it would be easier if their partner just, you know, went to a sex worker for one night versus made out with someone that they had feelings for but never took it any further. I mean, the idea that your partner could have strong feelings for someone else and consider replacing you is so devastating. Mm -hmm. If you're completely committed, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't even matter if there's been physical intimacy or not in terms of the impact of betrayal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. If we're getting into disclosures a little bit more, if you are the person who cheated and you are at this point where you want to disclose, what are some like, I don't know what to say other than ingredients (laughs) to make sure you include in that disclosure? Mm, I love that question. Um, The first is to tell everything. Don't hold anything back. Don't try to whitewash. Don't say, I've been texting someone, but nothing's really ever happened if something's happened because your partner will find out. Don't trickle truth, basically. Mm-hmm. Give the entire story. And as part of the story, make sure that you're not blaming the relationship and your partner for causing you to cheat. Nobody can ever cause you to do anything. We all have choice. We are all adults with choice. And so the relationship might have been in a stuck place, but you're still responsible for your poor behavior. Mm -hmm. And the more self-reflective you can be about this patterning of hiding, escape, avoidance, using um, something to numb out or looking sideways to get needs met from someone else is a pattern learned in childhood. So the more you can bridge back and make that link between How did I learn that this was the smartest coping strategy in childhood and what caused me to use it right now in my life? That's a coherent story that's going to make it much easier for your partner to hear. Um, The research that I've done, the survey that I did with my my two colleagues, Dr. Kathy Nickerson and Reese Davies, um, has found that the the two ingredients for repair after infidelity for the betrayed partner are validation that they have the right to all of their feelings, that they have the right to be enraged, traumatized, etc., and reassurance that they are the one that are loved, that they were always loved. So as long as that can also be part of the disclosure, I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to leave you. This was my idiotic trauma spin and I'm going to get help for it. 
this is what I so far understand about what would cause me to behave this way. I don't even recognize myself. I'm so sorry. I will do anything it takes to heal with you. But I want to reassure you that I love you so much and I feel horrible about myself that I did this and it has nothing to do with you being unworthy or not good enough for me. Do you recommend having that piece of it where I'm going to get help or like a kind of like a solution forward or a step forward? Like knowing exactly how? Uh, Not necessarily. Like just – I think about when I get an apology from someone, how I want to understand, okay, like, great. Thank you for the apology. What are we going to do moving forward if it's like a really big thing? So do you recommend having some sort of plan or idea or um, just some, you know, method forward, even if that isn't the method that you're going to end up using or just some sort of solution based? Okay. I think so because, I mean, if you're the betrayed partner and you're reeling and you're getting an apology, you have no idea that it's not going to happen again. You need to know Mm -hmm. what are the steps that you're going to take so that I know and I can trust that there will be change. Mm -hmm. So I think there should always be an action plan, a repair plan, a like, here is the work I'm going to do on myself. Here are the couples therapists I found in our area who specialize in this. Here's here's the trauma healing that I'm going to do about X and Y from childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the admission, admission, is that what I'm thinking? Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, I would be pissed if someone was like, we should go to couples therapy. And I know that that's mm-hmm. a solution, but it's like, no, you go to therapy is like how I would perceive that. But also you need to work on this huge, devastating thing together. So I guess right after, what is the next step on the road to recovery? Is it both forms of therapy? Is it getting right into couples therapy? Like how do we start recovering? I love that question. And I do it differently than most therapists. Um, But I totally agree with you. I believe that step number one is each partner has to do their own work apart. Mm. That it's too soon for couples therapy right after the disclosure. The cheating partner needs to fully understand their trauma history and what caused this pattern. Mm. The betrayed partner needs to understand all of those old core beliefs that are getting kicked up and causing them trauma. And once they both understand their trauma and have healed some of their childhood trauma and wounding they can come together to really repair and look at the relationship dynamics Mm -hmm. because every relationship has a negative cycle that can fuel attachment strategies. Mm -hmm. So it's never the betrayed partner's fault, but, but the relationship still cycle and dynamic still needs tending to, and there can be aspects of the dynamic that exacerbate the cheating partner's avoidance strategy. Mm -hmm. So we need to really like water and tend to the foundation of the relationship to make sure it's never vulnerable again, in addition to healing each partner and their wounding. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That feels like you're starting with two, like you're more grounded um, people. And also I feel like for the person who was cheated on, a little space to think your own thoughts and vent exactly how shitty you might be feeling and maybe how you feel about it. Like, is this a point where I don't want to come back from this? I don't want to go to couples therapy. I don't know, to make up your own mind separately. A hundred percent. I think that that's so important. Mm -hmm. Like the, because otherwise what I've seen is the betrayed partner will just stay in rage and be so ambivalent for such a long time. And that's not good Mm -hmm. for the relationship. It's not good for the betrayed partner. It's not good for the cheating partner. And there needs to be a real choice to say I'm in this and I want to forgive. I believe in forgiveness Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, I'm kind of just reeling and stuck and I guess I'll stay, but I kind of hate them, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Mm -hmm. To bring back a figure from the beginning, just so I can have more context. So you said 70% will like heal their relationship. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like that's some um, reassurance 
going into a disclosure as well. Like if you are somebody right. that is disclosing. Um, I think the yeah. are higher. I think the numbers are higher for that. I have to check that. Oh, wow. But but I think if you disclose, there's even a higher likelihood. Wow. Of repair. Um, but the the predictors of recovery across the board are was the cheating partner always in love with their partner even as they were cheating on them and did they offer reassurance and validation to the partner during the recovery that's it that's what determines whether people will survive or not those are obviously big things but like also not quite as like difficult or bigger things as you would think it would right. require to repair. Right. And, you know, I think like they're each operationalized, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a lot of nuance in there because the cheating partner might say, I, I love my partner. I, I didn't mean to hurt them, but they go into so much shame when their betrayed partner rages at them that they invalidate. It's hard for them to reassure they feel so attacked and so terrified that they can't actually show up the way they need to. And that's where I think good trauma therapy comes in. It's like to really help them work with their shame because it's the shame that caused the cheating in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's another obstacle um, for the person who cheated is thinking that you have to be this like, gallant night now during the relationship you have to show up with grand gestures every single day to make up for what had happened when it's like really what you just laid out there is huge and all we really want and it just comes from like emotional availability and vulnerability in the relationship which can still be a big hurdle for totally. some people but um it is. And, you know, you'd be surprised how many cheating partners go into hopelessness and helplessness. Mm -hmm. Like they try once to be the, you know, the perfect partner and they're met with so much rage that they're like, forget it. Right. I give up. Mm -hmm. This is impossible, you know, because it's really scary to be hated, to be a perpetrator, to like to be the one that causes this much damage to the person that you love the most. And it's very hard to stay vulnerable and open mm -hmm. when there's so much rage being directed at you. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are some, sorry, Cast, did you have something? Oh, I was just going to say thinking about a moment like that. If I were the betrayed partner and somebody going into hopelessness, helplessness would make me so angry yeah would make me so mad and would be like a real fuck you moment. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine it is very hard to control rage. And so that is just another argument for doing that individual work first. Because mm -hmm. um, I don't know how I could sit there and like watch somebody go into that like helplessness yeah. and not mm -hmm. just be real mean, yeah. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. And that's why recovery is a very hard, painful road. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so interesting when, like, I believe the trauma is what causes all of the hate and violence in the world. Mm -hmm. But when we cause harm and trauma to another person, they then become often a perpetrator in some way, right? And it's very, very, very hard. It takes like a larger than life human to be betrayed in that way and not become a raging asshole. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and it's so, so sad. And so then there's like all of these layers of like, I'm unlovable, you, you know, you don't care about me. You treat me like shit. You lied to me. How could you invalidate and lie? I knew this was happening for years and you kept lying to me. You must think I'm a nothing. And then on top of all of that pain, I hate who I've become. All of a sudden, I'm a raging lunatic monster and I feel insane. And so now I hate myself even more. I feel completely broken and I have now no idea how I'm going to be able to even live with who I've become. Like it's a terrifying place to be as the betrayed partner. Mm -hmm. 
Everybody gets a shame spiral. Yeah. You Everybody get, gets you a shame spiral. One. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad. But the upside and the beauty of recovery work is that we really get to love ourselves in our shame and say, everybody becomes monsters sometimes. We're all lovable. We can heal these old beliefs that tell us that we're bad, tell us that we're not worthy, and we can come out so much stronger and wiser on the other side, both individually and as a couple if we're both committed to healing. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth, and that's what I've seen. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. I just – I feel like we could keep – going and digging and digging into this because it is so fascinating to talk about just these types of dynamics in relationships. And, but what, what other things that we like, have we not asked about the road to recovery that are so important to outline, um, like for someone who's trying to move forward? Mm. The stigma for the betrayed partner Mm -hmm. of being cheated on and how hard it is to not have family and friend support if you, if they want to stay. Totally. Like how, how much we stigmatize cheating in our society Mm -hmm. um, and make the cheater just bad and not worth staying with. And then how much harder recovery becomes for the betrayed partner, because not only are they going through everything that I just outlined, but they're also feeling crazy for wanting to make it work Mm. because nobody supports it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden their partner who they were in love with for all this time and they have three grown kids together and, you know, whatever is this villain that they should hate. And like how much we polarize in society, how much we write people off and dismiss and, um, they're either all good or all bad. Mm-hmm. And what damage that does to all of our psyches, not just an in infidelity, that makes healing harder. That's I got into this work. Mm-hmm. It's what? I just said that's such a good point. Um, I got into this work actually because I had worked on uh, in restorative justice project and I'd worked with people who were incarcerated for murder. And they were in prison for 20 plus years mm-hmm. And um, had never had to self-reflect and do any trauma work and take true, real, deep responsibility for the harm that they caused. Mm -hmm. And when I witnessed their transformation, I was so moved. I mean, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was so beautiful and powerful to see them feel so deeply pain that they'd never let themselves feel before. Mm -hmm. At 50 years old and 60 years old, you know, when they'd committed a crime at 18, and, um, and that's really what had me being like, you know, the world needs to understand that everybody has good and bad parts. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can accept both our good and our bad parts, the healthier we're all going to be. Mm-hmm. And the more that we disown our bad parts, the more that we project them onto everybody else and demonize and villainize. And we have all these wars and a crazy fucking country with crazy politics and the healing is the same for all of this, for infidelity recovery, for our political system, for global violence. Like if we can own that all of us have damage that needs to be addressed and needs to be made conscious, that we harm people when we're unconscious and that that doesn't make us bad, it just makes us human we're going to be a much healthier society and our relationships are going to be much healthier mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you're talking about friends and family um, wanting to kind of like disown someone who has cheated it, I think about how, you know, if I had a friend or a family member be cheated on, I would like, it's hard not to see, you know, hating that other person as empowering the person that was cheated on because you want them to feel empowered because you love them. And like, I imagine being cheated on feels very disempowering. Um, but how, if you limit their choice of what you support, like you don't limit them or you limit them in terms of if you would support them staying with that person, that's still really disempowering. And so it just feels like a lot of not trusting the betrayed person to make the right choice for themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's exactly it. And I think that we can be furious at somebody's behavior without demonizing them. There's a difference mm-hmm. between saying that is fucked up. That is not okay. You did not deserve that. That is, you know, that comes from their broken place inside of them. And maybe they can heal and maybe they can't. Let's wait and see. Mm-hmm. But you have, it's your choice and you'll know, you will, tr- you will know, you will intuitively know whether it's the right thing to, to keep working with them or not to heal. Mm-hmm. Right. Damn. There's just so many more avenues we could, we could like just keep making episodes and episodes. Cause now I have like so many more questions about the like recovery process when your family doesn't support you, but I also don't want to go off too far. Um, Cass, do you have any other questions? No, I mean, yes, yeah. a million now, <laughs> uh-huh. but um, you answered all of like everything I brought in and more. So mm-hmm. Um, where can our listeners continue connecting with you after this episode? I am on TikTok as Becca Stone underscore therapist and Facebook and Instagram as uh, at Brooklyn Somatic Therapist. Therapy. Sorry, at Brooklyn Somatic Therapy. (laughs) And um, you can check out our brooklynsomatictherapy.com website, although we really only work with New York clients there. Um, But follow me on any of the social channels, you'll get tons of tidbits and you can check out all of our services and offerings uh, in my bios there. This was so much fun. This was I love meeting you guys. Your sass always takes me like off guard just a little bit because I'm used to us doing it in a bit. But then sometimes when you just give it to me, I'm like, (gasps) well, it's always unprecedented. Like it is never (laughs) warranted. When I give you Uh sass, it's never, never warranted. So I I think that's what keeps it fresh and fun for you. (laughs) Yeah. You keep me sharp, honestly. Thank you. You do in multiple ways. I feel it. And I know this has nothing to do with the episode (laughs) we just finished. But when we don't talk or don't like have our chats, Mm -hmm. our spats for a while, our spats, I feel less funny. And I mean Mm -hmm. that with like a very uh, genuine compliment to you. Thank you. I love that. And Mm -hmm. I agree. I think I feel less joy the less I interact with you. (laughs) Um, So I feel no reason to be funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why would I give the world this gift Why? if I'm not Why getting my giggle? needs met? Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's not fun. Not as not as rewarding if I'm not giggling with you. Mm-hmm. So um, you will always be my giggle partner, whom I won't cheat on. That just made me think of something interesting, though, for our little outro okay. friends. Have you ever felt cheated on by, like, a friend? I feel like that comes oh. up a lot when you're younger. You know what I mean? Like, in middle and high school, but definitely... I've felt it older, unwarranted. Um, totally. But it's oh, that's a great question, yeah. though. Um, yes, I guess. I feel like the ways I felt it in funny, silly ways is like when your friends hang out without you, mm-hmm. but it's totally fine because they're friends and they have their own friendship, right. too. And you're like, mm, you're cheating on me. Mm-hmm. Um, in other ways, I can feel it. I have felt it before where your friend starts to like, be distant from you because they replaced you and they haven't told you yet. Right. <laughs> and that's been a bummer, but that was more middle school for me. Um, and high school probably. Yeah, I hope that hasn't happened recently. <laughs> <laughs> I have something to As tell adults, you. I, <laughs> we've actually started a different podcast somewhere completely different. And it's Cass and Irma somewhere it's else. Cantaloupe me. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's cantaloupe and and it's better because it's tastier. It's so much better. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I feel like it is easy to feel cheated on by a friend in very unwarranted situations. And I think with friendships, especially, we don't spend a lot of time like thinking about our emotions in them and like, yeah, I don't know, like processing them. You and I have had to spend a lot of time processing our friendship and talking through things that have come up when like things get a little bit harder. So I feel like when we do feel cheated on by a friend, it's so hard to say something and it feels so dumb. Like, yeah, <laughs> it just feels so dumb because I can't be like, 
that was really rude of you for hanging out with that person that we're both friends with that you are totally allowed to hang out with on your own. Like that was really (laughs) fucked up of you. (laughs) Totally. I agree. I feel like it's a lot harder to talk about because yeah, it's so unprecedented Mm -hmm. and it's usually like your own insecurity about feeling like replaced or forgotten or not important anymore Mm -hmm. where it's like, those are all valid feelings, but how do you talk about that if you haven't regularly brought that up? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I introduced you to one of our really good friends (laughs) and there were a couple of months after I did it that I was like, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) That was stupid of me. Why, why would I do that? Um, that? Now I'm so grateful. And I love that you guys have a friendship outside of me entirely. (laughs) And there was a while where I was like, that was a mistake. (laughs) That was such a mistake. I regret it. One of them's going to have to die now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking to either of them anymore. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, fuck them. They deserve each other. I actually hate fuck them. them. Um, <laughs> but I processed those feelings. I went to therapy. Sure, sure, sure. And I'm here. And we're all fine. We're Anyways, all fine. <laughs> Rebecca, you'll we be are... hearing from me. <laughs> yeah. I actually have an appointment with Rebecca. <laughs> oh, Well, um, we are all better off because of Rebecca as well, just in general from this podcast. So thank you so much for coming on today, Rebecca. And thank you to our listeners for hanging out for our last week of Relationship Month. Oh, so fun. It's been so fun. Mm -hmm. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. You can leave us a written review. You can rate us on Spotify. You can watch us on YouTube. You can follow us on TikTok and Instagram. Um, And if you ever have an episode suggestion, a guest suggestion, you are welcome to go to the link in any of our bios and submit that on our little Google form. Um, (laughs) We read them and we appreciate Uh them. And we do our best to bring you the content that you want. So let us know what mm-hmm. you like hearing. Um, don't be don't be unkind. Don't be critical. Because <laughs> we're <laughs> deeply, deeply sensitive. But yeah. um, with that, we will see you next week for a new month, new topic. Mm-hmm. Are we going to tell them the topic or should we just... Let's just tease them. Let's tease them. Just... Just tease it out a little bit longer. I wish I had um, a funny hint that I could give, but nothing's coming uh, to the tip of my tongue. To the... Mm, and it, that doesn't even it, do it well. The, well, kind of. Tip of your tongue. We're dangling it with our fingertips. Um, Stay healthy. Yeah, that's all uh, I got. We'll see you <laughs> <laughs> next month. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. <laughs>